just have um, a little bit of time, and I just want to say, there is there's great faith in this room. Uh, Rebecca and I are so glad to be a part of this church, to, to know each of you. And in a year where it's been more difficult than ever before to spend time with you, I've only found myself to be more and more grateful for each of you. And I know that um, through all the challenges we've had over the past three years, COVID and other things, we haven't spent as much relational time together. And of the families that have come since COVID happened, it's been, you know, really challenging. And so you, you may not feel that as much, but I want to tell you, like, it is true. And a lot of times what can happen as humans is we can overestimate what we'll do in the short term and underestimate what's accomplished in the long term. And that, that just is a product of not having a, a, as much eternal perspective, God-given wisdom, and a realization that greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. And that in your lifetime, it's actually God who's doing the heavy lifting. And I just want to encourage you today. Someday you're going to get to heaven and you're going to realize God did more through you over the course of your life than you realized. And i got to be honest with you. Just being here is a victory. You have great faith. You have shown great faith. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad to know you. I'm so glad to see what God is doing in you. One of the aspects of faith that's talked about the most in the New Testament is endurance. Look at the endurance you have shown. There is great faith in this room. God is doing great things through you. God will do great things through you. But it's not about you. (laughs) The kingdom of God. There is great faith in this room. I love you. I'm so glad to know you. You are really something else. Now I have 10 minutes to give you an hour-long sermon. Pray for a brother. (laughs) Actually, I knew there wouldn't be as much time, so this one's real simple. But I'm not going to fill in all the blanks today. Hopefully with some of these messages, you are given something to chew on, something to consider. Let's talk briefly about the Jesus-centered life. A Jesus-centered life. Okay, so we've talked a lot today about Jesus, who Jesus is already, centered. Well, most people um, around us would use the word centered to mean being very balanced and at peace. Um, some, Some people use it just to mean like, I get grounded, I get centered. And in a good way, pushing out anxious thoughts, but in a bad way, just like going to zero so much that nothing's happening. <laughs> and we need to rest in our salvation, we need to rest in Jesus. But if we talk about a Jesus-centered life, it's not a self-centered life. It's not a me-focused-on-me life. A Jesus-centered life is, I'm finding that balance and that peace in my relationship with Jesus. I'm finding it in who Jesus is. 
So just a couple of thoughts on that. Jesus, it's when Jesus is placed in the middle of our lives. As some of you know, I, I played small-time college soccer, and I was one of only two Americans on the starting 11. And for a while, we had this one center forward from Romania. And um, <clears throat> Romanian is a very different uh, language. And he, he was not a very big guy, didn't have a very loud voice. But when he was ready to receive the ball and shoot, he would say, In the middle! In the middle! He would say so much, we would all come in the middle. He like said, I'm in the center, send it to me, I'm going to score. What am I doing to actively place Jesus in the middle of my life? It's not Malcolm, it's Jesus. All right, good. Having Jesus as the focal element of our lives. So I want to just put some scriptures in front of you, to, and I'm not going to tell you all what it means, but to give you, let's have some moments to think about as we're coming out of this fast and transitioning in this new year, a Jesus-centered life and what it really means and what it really looks like. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So in a Jesus-centered life, there's a divine exchange. There is a letting go of what weighs me down, and there's an exchange, there's a receiving of what Jesus wants me to carry. Which, newsflash for you, it's custom-made for you. It's like Marie makes these custom-made things for dogs. They fit perfectly. They're comfortable. They like them. <laughs> Guess what? God has something that's custom-made for you. So this is what it looks like to come to Jesus in exchange. From Hebrews, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So if I'm centering my life on Jesus, I'm interacting with the Son of the living God who understands me perfectly. Maybe you've been misunderstood by others, but you have a sense of your own weaknesses. And sometimes we have a sense, but not a complete, accurate understanding. Jesus does. And he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. So sometimes I just say the phrase Jesus-centered life and we can fall into legalistic thinking. I've got to do 27 things so that I can be more like Jesus. And that's why for some of us, I'm reminded that it was 10 years ago now that the Ravens were on their way to the Super Bowl. No one knew that Joe Flacco was going to tie Joe Montana for the best statistical performance in the playoffs and the, and the, and the, the Super Bowl. But the following year, when the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, on the way, Marshawn Lynch was in trouble with the league because of his comments and press conferences, and he didn't want to be there, and he was getting fined. And that's where we get the phrase from the media week before Super Bowl, I'm just here so I won't get fined. 
which I thought was hilarious. He answered every question with, I'm just here so I won't get fined. What can happen in our relationship with God is we start, we, and on the inside of us, we turn to God. We start it because we want to avoid bad consequences. When we're really honest, for some of us, at the beginning, it's like, I don't want to go to hell, or I don't want people to think I'm a bad person, or I don't want to this, I don't want to that. We, and then we start off like, what's the minimum I can do with the least amount of grief, least amount of punishment, with the least amount of hassle? I'm just here so I won't get fined. And a lot of the quote-unquote decline of attendance of the American church is actually, for some, it's for people that didn't have this transformative relationship with Jesus, but instead they were just there so they wouldn't get fined. I'm not here for that mess, and neither are you. That's why there's great faith in this room. I'm here for a transformative relationship with Jesus. I don't have much patience for anything else. You, You understand Not enough time to explain my full meaning there. Right? So a transformative relationship with Jesus really makes a difference. It's a relationship. I'm not just here so I won't get fine. I want to get to know Jesus. I I want, I have a desire. I have an attachment in this relationship with God. It's a Jesus-centered life. We go back to the verse we prayed when we were praying over the tragic events in the the news most recently. Jesus says, okay, so the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come... My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, the New Living says. I came to give them life and that to the full. The the New King James says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The average person thinks that everything would be good if they had 25% more income than they have right now. That's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Which is why I like the New Living's translation of it, a rich and satisfying life. The kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come. His purpose wasn't so that we, life would be a drag. And anything that we do with God would be like that. No, life and that to the full. So a Jesus-centered life. That's what we're talking about. Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So in this Jesus-centered life, God gives us a sense of identity, value, and purpose. Sharing Jesus. It's not just a bless me club, right? Blessed to be a blessing. God's promise to Abraham about Jesus, the Messiah. See, the greatest miracle God can do for you has already been done in your salvation, your forgiveness of sin, your new life. So I have learned to pray in the pattern of the Lord's Prayer along those lines. Thank you for my salvation. God has already given you the best blessing you can give to someone else. You can help someone else receive, help someone else understand. There's purpose. Philippians chapter 2, you, know, you all know one of my favorite passages there, just lifting a couple phrases from verses 1 through 5. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Loving one another have the same attitude Christ Jesus had, which was this gracious humility, this selflessness. And in the the context of that letter, he continues chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, 
forgetting the past. And here he's talking about how you understand your righteousness. He's saying, I don't think about all that I've accomplished spiritually. He had learning, he'd gone to schools, he'd done all these other things, memorization and the understanding and interpretation and study of the scriptures. He's talking about those things. He's saying, I don't rely on the good I've done in the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What is that? It's the marriage feast of the Lamb. And what we yearn for, that perfection, that ultimate peace, that ultimate joy, is when Jesus returns, that no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death, Jesus' ultimate victory over it all, uninterrupted peace and joy and time with God. So Paul is saying, he's talking about this endurance faith. And he's talking about a Christ-centered life. And one thing that fasting has helped me a number of times do is come to a realization of where in my thoughts, where in my emotions, I evaluate myself based on good things that happened in the past. That God did in me or that I did in the past. And God certainly God wants you to have that memory and the foundation and the positives of the foundation, but it is not my good actions in the past that speak to who I am in the presence of Jesus today. It's who I am in the presence of Jesus today. That's why over and over in the scripture, God uses the example of a spouse being sexually unfaithful to the other spouse. God uses that example to call people to repentance, to say, come back to me, come back to your first love. Paul is talking about an enduring faith. I don't rely on the past. I look forward to what lies ahead. And I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I'm so thankful for good examples in this room. And even in my own life, this week, you're celebrating my dad teaching in the Bible college for 50 years. (laughs) Heaven help me. I get to, I have so many examples of faithful endurance in my family. But it's because of the grace of God. This life-giving grace of God. So let me close with just three practical. We talk about every situation, in every moment, life really, moments are so important. Moments are so important. And really what I'm calling us to is to, in every moment, bring Jesus in. Focus on Jesus. And my character faults and weaknesses, and whatever the moment Focus on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Where is Jesus? In every situation, center yourself on Jesus. So what should we do? Number one, make a fresh commitment to follow Jesus. Number two, think about Jesus every day. And number three, make needed adjustments. Certainly Jesus called it his followers to make the needed adjustments. Just like we heard Erica talk about today. What is the thing where I say, oh, 
that thing about me, that's not like Jesus. We had this awesome conversation with Pastor Galen this weekend about new ideas we got for improving the facility this week, but it, I'm interrupting him. And Rebecca faithfully kicking me under the table. <laughs> because interrupting someone else isn't like Jesus. <laughs> it's not a perfect analogy, but you get where I'm going. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for showing us love by sending Jesus. Thank you, God, for your perfect grace that is revealed in Jesus. Thank you for who Jesus is. Not insecure, not selfish, not weak, not flawed. One who walked through suffering. Tempted as we were, but perfect. Our great high priest. Thank you for sending Jesus. Help us to live a Jesus-centered life in this personal, changing relationship. Help us to understand what it means, what it looks like. Thank you, God, for the gift of prayer and fasting, for the gift of this season, for the gift of the healing and the strength that you're bringing us from the past because of the good things you have before us in the present. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We look forward to the party next Sunday. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.